Today's draft class is brought to you by the Google Assistant. With the Google Assistant, you can complete over a million actions on your phone, in your car, and around your house. For example, hey Google, get directions to Majordomo Restaurant. The best way to get to Majordomo by car is via Riverside Drive and will take about 34 minutes in moderate traffic. Download the Google Assistant. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com. On the site today, you can find a bunch of great content, including a fantastic, beautifully written piece by Danny Chow, who will be on today's show. And it's about building around Giannis and Nikola Jokic and the difficulties the Nuggets and the Bucks are having building around their star bigs. And also, please continue to check out One Shining Podcast with Titus and Tate. They'll be doing a show tonight after the six Sweet 16 games, so looking forward to that. Now, it's time for Draft Class. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Kevin O'Connor, and this is Draft Class, calling in as he does every Friday from Dallas, Texas's fellow Ringer staff writer, Jonathan Charks. What's up, guys? And here in Los Angeles is my man, the Ringer associate editor, Danny Chow. Yes, I'm here for the third time. Yes. Uh, I'm back. Happy oh, to be yes. here. And our intro music is brought to you from the band Oso Oso. And as always, the podcast will be produced by Isaac Lee. Great to be here as always. The dulcet tones of Isaac Lee will be flat. Oh, Isaac, uh, Isaac is the greatest the, singer of all time. The voice oh, of an man. angel. If you guys have not heard it, we did a little, a little play on Michael Jackson's Billie Jean for Sister Jean who is now moving on to the Elite Eight. Yes. Congratulations so, to congrats. her. And, congrats and, to Loyola. And, and her basketball team. And listen to Isaac Lee <laughs> on the ringer.com. Gallagher did most of the work, by the way. Just saying. But you sang it. And you killed yeah. it. You slayed it. It's all about the voice. And you can write lyrics. It's the voice that matters. It wouldn't be a no from me, dog. Put it that way. <laughs> wow. All right. all right, let's do it. So this week in the NBA... Three of the top prospects declared for the draft. We have Arizona's big man, DeAndre Ayton, Mo Bamba from Texas. We've talked a lot about those guys. The one guy that we weirdly haven't talked much about at all is one of the most interesting prospects of the entire college season, and that's Oklahoma point guard Trey Young. He's a guy, started the year looking a lot like Stephen Curry, and then towards the end of the season, it just all fell apart once Oklahoma got into conference play. People were high on him, talking about him as the number one pick, and then it was like, well, wait a minute, should he even enter the draft? We haven't talked about him really at all. Charks had a piece on Trey Young earlier last week, I believe, after the first weekend of games, but there hasn't been a lot of discussion amongst us between them, so I'm going to open it up. Charks, Trey Young. What are your thoughts on him as a prospect at the next level? I know you said in your piece that he has a high floor. What gives him that high floor? I just think it's the combination of shooting, passing, and ball handling. Like a lot of the guys people compare Trey to, and like, oh man, maybe he's Jimmer for dead or Buddy Hill. Like those guys couldn't pass. They were just one dimensional players. Like Trey Young is obviously very, very unathletic, but he's such a smart player and he can do so many different things on the court offensively. I think he'll help the team pretty much no matter what. I think that's the key thing, really, is that for me, there's been a little bit of backlash for Trey Young where he started the year so high. Everybody was all over him, like, oh, he looks like Steph Curry. He's the Stephen Curry of college, which he was. Right. He was playing like that, just draining threes from anywhere on the court. It was unbelievable to watch. But then once that st- once his shots weren't falling, people were like, he's not going to be an NBA player. He's not athletic enough. But it's like, yeah, 
you can be a good NBA player and not be a great athlete because of his passing vision, his ability to really, I think, see passes ahead, pass guys open. He's a really good passer. Yeah, and what he brings to the table is very rare. Uh, Having a guy who can, you know, be comfortable pulling up from 27 feet out is one of the biggest luxuries you can have in the NBA. Having a guy who can, you know, pass people open, as you just said, is huge. The the fact that he's, you know, a 6'2", 6'3", scrawny guard, it's not necessarily in vogue in the league right now, but his skill set is what's going to set him apart from pretty much any other guard prospect in this draft. I have a conspiracy theory, and I, I've talked to a handful of NBA people about him, especially at Sloan last month in February, and like a lot of people were like, oh yeah, we, we would hate if our owner wanted him, because he's the type of guy you draft, expectations are too high, and then he never meets those expectations, then you lose your job. That was the mindset. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have him ranked like 12th or 13th. And I understand if you, somebody has him that low, but I feel way more comfortable with him at like the 6, 7, 8-ish range, like smack in the middle of the lottery, just because of the fact that are we overthinking it with him a little bit where, he, like you said, Danny, he's a rare player with his ability to hit tough shots. But even if he doesn't have to do that in the NBA, like Charles wrote about in his piece this last week, He's somebody who can shoot off the catch at a high right. level. He's somebody who can potentially shoot off of screens, which he didn't have to do in college. He's somebody who can, as we talked about, he can pass, can hit floaters. I think he, granted, he needs to get more. He needs to get stronger around the rim. He's, everyone does. Everyone you know? does. And he's shown the ability to hit some tough layups. I just feel like there's been a little bit too much scrutiny because everybody's holding him against the Stephen Curry bar, which I think is ridiculous right. to do. O- f- over, you know, his first half of the season which was just, like, completely unsustainable. And, like, it, it was a joy to watch, but... Well, I think, too, it's like, if his team was a little better, he wouldn't have taken so many shots, and he'd be more viewed a little more, like, rationally. But it was because he took so many shots early that everyone kind of put these expectations on him. I wrote about this in my piece. Guys like Trey Young aren't normally one-and-done players. Like, no one says, oh, man, look at this 6'2 athletic guard. He's got to go pro right away. Like, I think that usually stay in school two, three, four years, work on our body, work on our craft. Whereas Trey kind of had lightning in a bottle, he has to go pro. Damian Lillard is a freshman at Weber State. 11.5 points per game, playing in the Big Sky Conference. And, and the thing about Damian Lillard was that he had a growth spurt in college. Yeah. When, he, when he got recruited, he was, I think, 6 feet tall, 155 pounds. Like, yeah. he was Little barely guy. recruited. So, like, now when you think of him, you're, you're thinking a 6'3", you know, 195 guy. And it's just like he's best, a completely— Best rapper in the NBA now. Yeah, he's a completely <laughs> different player. You know, the Trey Young we're, we're seeing right now may not be the Trey Young we see even, you know, in two years. And, th- and that's the fascinating thing with him is there's been so much conversation. First of all, like, I'm disappointed that we all agree. I, I, I wish one of us hated him as a prospect. That makes me very sad. <laughs> I, I guess to argue on behalf of the people that that say they're they're against him as a prospect, it's because of the lack of strength. It's the fact he only has like a six three wingspan, and I think as you said in your piece, Charks, that might be generous. He's he's a small guy. He's really lean, and he's the type of player where if the offense isn't at a great level or even a very good level. The defense for him is extremely worrying. I think that's the type of thing where teams are going to attack him relentlessly on the end of the floor. It's going to hold him back early on. Charks, what are the things that he needs to do in order to not be a total liability? Does he, does he even have to do anything with defense, or is it really about his offense becomes so good that the defense just doesn't matter? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I was, as you were saying, that I was thinking of Isaiah Thomas just in terms of, like, is his defense going to be that bad? Is he that? Will he be that bad, though? 
Like Isaiah is five nine, five ten, and that's really big, scrawny. That's why a four for his defense. But Trey's got to get in the weight room for one, and then I'm still going to start trying on defense. And that was the tough yeah. part too about his team because oh, you really couldn't have him getting in foul trouble or doing anything on defense. They had to have him scoring. So right. he really just kind of hit all season. Yeah, and in your pretty much like scouting report of, of who he, where he stands as a prospect now after they got bumped in the first round. You had mentioned that OU was basically hiding him against Rhode Island all yeah. game long. They, they were doing everything and they that's could. that's Rhode Island. Yeah, exactly. It's not the Brooklyn Nets. Right. It's not the Houston Rockets. And I think, you know, to that, to that point um, in terms of hiding a guy on defense— it's not just the Isaiah Thomases of the world. We saw last last week with the Houston Rockets against the Portland Trailblazers, the Houston Rockets tried getting Lillard on a switch constantly. They constantly wanted to get Harden matched up against Dame. And that's what's going to happen with Trey Young. I think, for me, he's going to be a liability on defense. That's just the reality of it. Um, I, I don't think there's really, really any hope that he becomes a great defender or even a good defender, unless he's like in a Steph Curry situation where he's surrounded by unbelievable defenders where any limitations don't really matter. Matter as long as he's giving effort. To me, it's really just about his offense. It's about what, what level he reaches on that end of the floor for him to matter. Is he going to be a spark plug scoring six man as like a floor? Because I think he, I feel pretty safe uh, saying that he'll be that. Or is he going to be the type of guy that maybe leads your team? Um, like, what's your confidence level, Danny, with his ability to reach a high level offensively? Like, let's, let's just say top 10, top 12 point guard in the league. I mean, yeah, it, it's really about the infrastructure that that teams are going to be able to build around him. That's kind of my concern about drafting him maybe in the top five. I have him very high on my big board, but I'm just thinking from a team perspective. Look, if you don't have the players to support him, as you know, everything you just pointed out, then he's going to be limited. It's going to be very hard to have him maximize his potential at the NBA level. Like at the college level, he was playing with four guys who just were were never going to be able to boost them up to a higher level. And he led the nation in points and assists anyway. So I'm not I'm not that confident, but you know, stranger things have happened. How about you, Charks? I would say the one thing is like with a guy like Trey Young, I remember so when Shane Larkin was in Dallas and Shane was the same size as Trey Young and he wasn't like super aggressive right away and when you're that small you have to be very very aggressive because you're going to give up points on defense constantly. You have to score enough points for that it balances out your lack of defense. I think that's Trey really has an advantage too is because he's going to look for a shot. He's going to score enough I think so. That's kind of the thing bounce out a little bit. So no matter what happens I think the cost benefit will be okay for him. Is, is there like an ideal situation you guys see him fitting into in, in terms of the lotto teams? The Cavs with LeBron. <laughs> that that's the ideal. Um, stick him in that Kyrie Kyrie right. role. Uh, see what he can do. I got one for you. How about the Knicks? You have Frank Hart cutting him on defense. Mm. Him and Chris mm. Stapp pick and roll. I like it. Yeah, and then they're both going to get benched for Jared Jack. Oh, I, God. I, I, and Emmanuel Moutier, uh, yeah. Right, and Moutier. Moutier has got to start. Got to start Emmanuel Moutier. They got the Trey Burke-Moutier combination. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at other teams in the lottery. How about the Sixers? Like, let's say he slips to 10. Let, let's oh, see. man, he gets a lot of buckets there. A lot, of, buckets. A lot oh. of length on the Philadelphia 76ers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's playing playoff ball of, of Ben Simmons. Can play with Fultz if Fultz ever gets back. That's a pretty good fit, too, if I'm Philly. I've already kind of mentally prepared for the Magic to draft him. Like, I just, yeah, yeah. like, wherever they are. Mm-hmm. I think right now <laughs> they have the third best odds at the number one. It doesn't matter where they draft. I think they're getting Trey Young. Really? Yeah. Yeah, hmm. it's everything that they've, you know, they, they need a guy who's kind of like a star player and he has raised his profile like exponentially yeah. 
over, you know, the past year. They got rid of Alfred. There's like a spot for him there. I don't know. It, I, I, I see it. You bring up an interesting point, Danny, because if you're minimizing basketball talent, you're ranking, ranking these guys by star power. Trey Young's a top three, top four guy in this draft for star power, for impact, for hype. For most, it, most recognizable hair, yes. too. Absolutely for now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's thinning rapidly. Right. I, I think uh, <laughs> one of our colleagues, Micah Peters, uh, described it as if you dropped a lollipop into a barber room floor and just kind of rolled it around. Oh, my goodness. Well, how, how did he think of this? <laughs> he's, 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 he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Holy shit. Yeah. That's funny. That is the best analogy. I will say, like, having straight in Orlando would be fun just because, like, he'd have some games where he looks amazing for, like, 30 points on 16 shots. They have some games where he scored, like, five points on 20 shots. It'd be a great, like, year-round circuit having him with we just jacked up all kinds of Do you worry about that shot selection with him? I mean, it was it was a topic of conversation for him in high school. It wasn't Oklahoma. Will it be in the NBA? Is it the type of thing where will he be willing to play within a system, or is that part of his nature, or just has it been just just the situations he's been in where it's just that he's been enabled to do it, but in the NBA it'll be okay? Well, I think there will be a big learning curve. That's the thing with like young is. I wonder, I think he's smart enough that he'll figure it out, but there'll be a time where it's like, a, you know, a, a wild colt, right? He has to run three, take bad shots, and learn that it was not going to work in the NBA. So I wonder with him, maybe it's like year three, year four, where it like comes together for him, and he figures out how to play at this level with his athletic limitations. That's why I was saying, like, if he was a senior in college, if he had two more years in school, he'd obviously be a much, he's the kind of player who'd get better, I think. Whereas I think these first two years in the league in the wrong spot will definitely have a trial by fire. We're going to take a quick break, tell you about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, then we're going to come back and talk about Trey Young's Comp Rushmore from Jonathan Sharks. Today's episode is brought to you by Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. Spring training is in full swing, so that means it's time to start thinking about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball drafts. Flex your skills as a general manager and crush your league with the Yahoo Fantasy app. The Yahoo Fantasy app is the number one mobile app in fantasy baseball. You can draft, trade, and manage your team right from your phone. The new weekly format makes it even easier to run your team all season. You can use the Set Active Players feature to set your lineup for the week in one tap. Sign up now at yahoo.com slash fantasybaseball. Create your own league or join a public league. Don't miss out on baseball season. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball is the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. And now back to the show. All right, we're back. Sharks, it's my favorite segment every Friday with you. It's called Brushmore. Okay, yeah. So with Trey Young, one thing I decided to do, we'll make a lot of bad comparisons on this thing. We won't do any obvious ones. So don't be a Steph Curry comp. Don't be a Jimmer for Dead comp. I'm going to throw some names at you. Let me know what you think. Okay, so the first one, there is nothing new under the sun comp. Mark Price. Do y'all remember him? I do. Uh, Free throw like guru. Early 90s, mm-hmm. late 80s. Yeah, the original. Not, not for MKG. Oh, yeah, he he totally <laughs> butchered MKG's shot, but continue. <laughs> I don't know what you could have done about that, though, man. What is he? Like, you got to be a legitimate and barrel worker to fix that one. Okay, so, so this guy is probably just good enough comp, Mo Williams. Okay, I like that one. And then. Then we got the, I hope this guy isn't this unathletic comp, and that's Tyler Ennis. And then the final one is, this guy should be okay no matter what. It's the Tyus, Tyus Jones. Those are good. I like the Mo Williams one for him. Uh, I'm not really feeling the Tyus Jones one as much because I think Tyus Jones was just like just a, such a tremendous game manager in college. Maybe that was partially due to the situation, but that dude you could rely on to make the right plays. And Trey Young, it's like, eh, Chill out, dude. Relax. Right. Uh, some of the passes. But then again, like you look at if he was playing with just 
Very fair. A lot a lot of it's due to situation when you look at Trey Young's teammates. Right. And and with with Tyus, he was playing with two of his team USA teammates. You know, they they yeah. had a, such a great rapport that year. Um and Trey Young again was playing with like four wooden planks. And, and yeah, they actually had offense at Duke. Right. They they did not run an offense <laughs> at Oklahoma. It was Trey, go get a bucket from forty feet. Right. Everybody else get out of the way. And if you get the ball, get it back to Trey or just throw it at the backboard and hope something good happens. So yesterday was the Sweet 16. I was at the game with Titus, with Tate, and Zach Schwartz, social media guy at TheRinger.com. And we watched Texas A&M and Michigan start off the day in Los Angeles. And Robert Williams, top prospect, the big man you wrote about him this week on the Ringer.com charts, and versus Mo Wagner from Michigan. And Michigan just completely smoked Texas A&M from start to finish. Charks, I know you're really high on Robert Williams. Was there any concern after yesterday's game? Or is it just, again, another one of those games where he's just not in a great situation, need to plug him into an NBA role to really see what he's about? Before we start that, so I had a report from the game that uh, oh, one cool. Mo Wagner was quote unquote starstruck when he met the great Kevin O'Connor. Is this true? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, That's what I, I saw. Slack. Yeah, yeah, he, listen, he listens to the Ringer NBA show, and I said hello to him in the hallway. And Titus and Zach claimed that he was like, "Oh wow, it's KOC." <laughs> yeah, word, word is apparently he was like, "Oh man." I'm starstruck right now. Kevin O'Connor. Oh Kevin O'Connor. <laughs> no. That is That's incredible. That's every week. He's a big fan of the Ringer NBA show. He's going to be ranked number one on my board ahead of DeAndre Ayton. Hey, you guys got to pronounce his last name right, <laughs> yeah, though. Wag- Wagner. Yeah, I've heard Wagner and Wagner. It's not, it's not Wagner, though. He's, yeah. yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's yeah. from Germany, man. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I'm all a, about the phonetics. It's, it's, it's interesting with his last name. Um, I switch between Wagner and Wagner, but I hear Wagner a lot. It's very interesting. I, I got I got family I, over in Germany. Yeah, I, I know it's uh, in, a, in a in a small town in Germany called Wiesbaden. It, it also starts with a W. Really? So you know, it, I think it's Wagner. Is it going to be intercultural chow over here? Is it going to be the type of thing where, like, with Jonas Jurebko, mm-hmm. it's actually Jonas Jurebko, right? Where his entire career, it's just going to be Wagner. Wagner, 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 or maybe even Wagner in some some cases. I feel like we did a good enough job with Dirk Nowitzki that we can yeah. make that change. Instead you know? of Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah, but he, Dirk was awesome. He demanded <laughs> yeah, he, that change. Yeah, I think he was just, like five points a game off the bench, like Jarebko is. You know, you got to be great to always demand your name. That's that's exactly the point. This, yeah, this is why it's very important to have Danny Chow on the podcast. <laughs> Not, 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 only a great, our, uh, not only is he a great editor, he's a great speech coach. Uh, so, guys, uh, <laughs> Wagner as a player? Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I guess, like, from that game, the first thing, and it was really unfortunate. <laughs> Williams couldn't really guard him the entire game because AM has this really old school big man, Tyler Davis. And that was kind of the story of the game for me is like they couldn't have Davis guard anybody on that team. So, either they had him switching screens and giving up points at will or playing zone, hands on Michigan. And so Williams, it seemed like he was kind of a passive bystander. There wasn't much he could do, but I, I know KOC thought like he kind of started the game mentally at a certain point. Yeah, I thought pregame I was watching him a lot. Uh, he was super, super hyped up during the national anthem. Um, then during pregame intros, really hype, more so than like a lot of his teammates. It was just very apparent how hyped he was to play the game. And I was, I was excited. I was like, okay, hell yeah, he's going to come out with a ton of energy in this game. And he did. Like He had a great chase down block early on, some other good defensive plays, despite the fact he wasn't, de- wasn't defending Wagner, which didn't make 
any sense for Texas A&M. But it quickly fell off a cliff. His energy levels looked really low. He looked like he quickly lost his spirit. Michigan just stomped on that team yesterday. I mean, that was brutal. For that sure. was a vicious that one. Oh, it was. 52 points in the first half for Michigan. Uh, 99-72 game. It was, it was they, they, they killed them yesterday. And Robert Williams, ideally you would have liked to see him continue to maintain his energy levels. And I'm not using this as a knock against him necessarily. It's just really a, an observation. I think it's okay if a guy on the defensive end of the floor is overly emotional. I think that can be channeled into high-intensity defensive play when things are going well. Um, the concern is, is like there's situations where when they're still not totally out of that game in the first half, where he has an opportunity to get a chase down block and he and he doesn't really go for it. He just kind of slowly jogs up the floor. That's where it's like, dude, I, I wish I would see him just turn it on in that moment and take that anger and that that really anxiousness and turn it into like a play that could change the, the, the feel of the game for his team. But instead he didn't. Yes, he was at the end of a rotation. He went to the bench shortly afterwards. Maybe he was just tired. But it's little things like that where it's like, if he's really going to be a guy that anchors your defense, I would love for him to make those plays in those moments, Sharks. I think, you know what it reminds me of? is like, it's like a defensive big. It has to be in the perfect situation. It kind of reminds me of like Nerland's Noel. And like Nerland went in a bad situation right away. And he was kind of useless because there's too many bigs around him. And he saw it in that game last night. Like, if Robert Williams is not in a spread floor, doesn't have a good point guard or a lot of shooting around him, it's going to be a wasted hit. Like, he has to really be in the right spot. And it's also the stuff, too. Like, he was suspended at the start of the season. It's just bizarre. You would think, okay, I'm coming back to school. I'm passing on millions of dollars. You would think he'd come into the season like, okay, let's just do well. Let's lead this team. And he comes in for like three or four games. And it kind of stones the entire team this year. A&M was very, they, were, they had no leadership. They had like four or five guys all season. And it seemed like Williams is the kind of guy who's going to revert to his situation. So if he's in a good one, maybe he's good. But if he gets drafted to the wrong team, he might, it might just fall apart for him did this year. Yeah, I, I mean, this, this was a brutal loss for Robert Williams Hive, which I am a member. Uh, <laughs> I, I love the guy. He's one of my favorite prospects in the draft. Um, I ha- I'm just a sucker for first impressions. Um, I saw, I caught him live in a, in a game earlier this season against USC back when they were still considered one of the best teams in the nation. And Williams just swallowed their entire front line whole. Like Metu, Boatwright, two guys who I think are, you know, Metu's yeah. definitely going Met- to be Metu's a prospect. A prospect. Yeah. Boatwright is kind of a fringe guy, but he's a guy who looks like an NBA prospect, 6'10", who can shoot from three, pretty athletic. And Williams was able to cover him on the perimeter. He swallowed um, Metu inside. I, I mean, it was Boatwright's probably the worst game I'd ever seen him play, and, and Metu just had no answer for his strength, for Williams' strength down low. Um, and this was maybe like a game or two after he had come back from suspension. Yeah, I'm looking at the stats now. It was a type of game where only scored four points, but yeah, it's exactly. a type of game where his impact was significant. Eight rebounds, four blocks in 23 minutes, uh, 75-59 win uh, for Texas A&M over, at the time, 10th-ranked USC. The, the big thing with him was that he had come into the season he had given an interview about how he wanted to expand his game, how he was working on his three-point jumper, and like you just didn't see any of it because None. of because of None. Tyler Davis, pretty much. Like they needed to feed their, you know, is he his junior or senior? The junior. Junior, yeah. So they needed to feed their, you know, their cash cow there. <laughs> so I, I think to your point, Danny, that that's where a little bit of my concern is with Robert Williams. It's like, yeah, you're right. He did you know, want to go back and improve in all those areas, but he was worse from the free throw line, 47% this year. That was pretty good, the free throw line, yeah. 
And he and his jumper is really rough. Yeah, he has a really rough jump shot. Mechanically, his limbs are just flailing all over the place. It looks different every time. It just doesn't look comfortable for him either off the catch um, or even off the dribble. I don't think he took many of those this year, but it doesn't. Well, look like- it was a funny thing. I think on Synergy, they have him at first percentile. Like, you don't see a first percentile <laughs> score very often. That means, like, literally everybody else in the country shot jumpers better than him. It's like Willie Cauley-Stein wants to shoot threes. And Robert Williams isn't going to be a guy who shoots threes in the NBA. I, like, the chances of that are so slim, it's, it's just insignificant. It's just not part of the equation. He's a rim-running five. It's going to be really funny. I, I remember when Willie Cauley-Stein was going through draft workouts, and there was one video of him oh, yeah. draining threes, Killed and everyone it. just went nuts. Whoa! Everyone went nuts about it. I, I bet you there's going to be one of those videos for Robert Williams yes. this year, and we're all going to talk ourselves into it. He's going to be shooting like right. 75% in practice from the free throw line. Like, oh, he's improved his shot, baby. He's going to come back. Not going to be a, a hacker guy in the NBA level, but it's like, yeah, he's yeah. probably going to be somebody team's hack. I would say with Pauly Stein, like Sacramento, if he goes, I mean, I guess most guys you can say this about, but if Robert Williams goes to Sacramento, there's his career at the bottom. Like, it's, I'm not gonna have it. It's not always gonna be like that for the Kings, though. They have some good players on that team. De'Aaron Fox is a culture changer. D- Buddy Heels, he's been so damn good lately. He, that guy is such an unbelievable shooter. They have some good young talent on their team. At some point, Sacramento is not gonna be a a death sentence for some prospects. It's gonna be a place maybe where some guys want to go at some point. I I, I mean, I, maybe I'm on an island here, but I think they have some good players. I, they I, do. I, you you might be on an island. I'm I'm not sure how much the city paid you for for this. You also did a ladybird. <laughs> Uh, oh, Adelaide right. last week, yes. so I, you might be just yeah. fully in the tank I, there. I, I did cry multiple times during Lady Bird. Very emotional movie. Very, very human movie. Um, it, it did make me have some stronger feelings towards the city of Sacramento, but it did not change my feelings towards the Kings, though. <laughs> Bogdanovich, we haven't we didn't mention him. Kings have some good players, guys. Come on. Okay. I mean, the, the players. Can, if I was an agent. I'm steering away from the Kings, though. So. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I would too. <laughs> well done. But it doesn't change the fact that they still have some good guys. Um, with Robert Williams, uh, get, getting back to him, one other thought: he's going to be. I think he's going to be a good rim runner. He's going to be a rim protector. My question is: is that the type of five you want to build around? What I'm saying is, like, we have the DeAndre Jordans and the Clint Capellas of the world. You see the way a Capella operates in Houston. It's really perfect. Um, having the four shooters around him on the floor, he just sucks the defense in when he rolls down the lane. Whereas with DeAndre Jordan, I'm not sure I want to pay that guy 20 plus million dollars unless he's in a situation that more resembles Houston where they're shooting a ton of threes. So what I'm getting at is, is Robert Williams the type of guy where you're okay with him being a DJ type or are you willing to change your offense for a guy like him? Like, what, Is it team structure? Are you hoping to have more of a Rockets looking team, Charks? That's what I think with, like, with Williams. I feel like more teams are going to do the Rockets structure. It feels like in five years, there'll be like 10 teams like this. That'd be my And guess. not just one. Like, I like Williams. Yeah, I think like it's being so successful that, and teams are very copycat league, obviously. It seems to me like this is going to become more and more common, at least for the near future. So I think in a way, it makes Williams more valuable because hmm. I think the, the Rockets model is going to be the model. Right. And it's also that you don't have to necessarily pine for a guy like DeAndre Aiden where you're like, oh my God, this guy has limitless potential. Yeah. With Robert Williams, you're going to basically develop him the way he should be developed. Like, it's a very limited but very important role. It's probably not as hard as trying to figure out 
what to do with eight, how to sure. how to best maximize his potential. I think that's the appeal if you're the team like the Suns. You you will have a top three, top four pick in this year's draft, maybe, and then you also have the fifteenth and sixteenth pick, and then you also have the thirty second, thirty third pick wherever that lands. You have four picks in the top. 35. So if you're Phoenix, you're thinking to yourself, well, hmm, maybe we could take a different guy with that top three, top four pick and then maybe trade up a couple spots to assure that we get Robert Williams or he just lands at that spot 15, 16, wherever it is. I think certainly there's appeal there um, for teams that have multiple first round draft picks to not go big up top in a big man draft and get the big man in the middle of the draft based on the value, based on the, the situation, based on how they want to construct their roster. I've been using my Sonos Playbase and Sonos One system to get ready each morning for the Ringer NBA show. I gotta get pumped up for draft class, so this morning I started listening to Jack White's new album on the Sonos Playbase. I can just use my voice to tell Sonos to play the album, and it works magically. can listen to my Sonos while I'm getting my breakfast ready, can listen while I'm brainstorming for this podcast. It's perfect. You can play your music, go from listening to the game, go to blasting your victory song, and unfortunately for Kentucky, that's what they weren't able to do last night, but it's because they probably weren't using Sonos. But... If they're listeners of the Ringer NBA show, they are in luck because Sonos is offering the listeners of the Ringer NBA podcast 10% off of one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. Use the promo code RINGERNBA10. That's capital RINGERNBA10 at Sonos.com to receive this offer. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. And now we're going to talk about Kentucky. And we're back. We're going to talk about last night's Kentucky game and some of the draft implications based on that. Kentucky lost 61-58 to Kansas State. And in that game, one of the guys that we had in the NBA draft guide, someone we talked about last week, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, it was a very, very rough game for him. Two for 10 from the field, 15 points, got all his buckets from the free throw line, basically. Five assists, five turnovers. It was rough. Had a chance to tie the game uh, at the end, called an ISO three for Gildas Alexander, and he clanked it off the side of the room. Question. You think he was trying to bank that in? I was like, I think it was such a bad shot. Like, was he banking that shot in? I don't understand what happened. I don't know, but that's part of the concern. I think the fact is, is that Gildas Alexander, the, the number one issue I have with him as a prospect is his shooting off the dribble. Um, and I know, Charks, that you felt he may have been a little bit of a Michael Carter-Williams type last night. I mean, I just feel like the way his shots were missing, it was like, oh, he's missing the bad. Like, I like mm-hmm. SJ. I'm a big fan of his game. But that was the first time where I watched him. I was like, if his shot's off, it is way off. Like, those weren't even, when he was shooting those shots, those weren't going to go in. I kind of felt that before he put out of the hand. I'm not sure anything changed for me, though, to be honest with you. I, I think those were concerns prior to the game that he's not going to— He Look, what he did against Buffalo, 27 points, 2 for 2 from 3, that's not who he is as a guy. Gilgis Alexander is a versatile defender, a guy that you can hopefully stick on you know, multiple positions, a guy who can facilitate for you. What you hope for is that he turns into a solid scorer. Right now, he's not that. And he still has a long way to go. I thought that was apparent last night. Um, but it was also apparent before the game in some ways. I think the touch is there. I think the free throw shooting, 11 for 12 last night. I, I still feel confident if he gets uh, with the right shooting coach, the right trainers, that he can become a solid shooter, Danny. Yeah, that's that's my big thing there is he still kind of played to his strengths in the game. He's, he had yep. more free throw attempts than he did field goal attempts. Yeah, um, He's still going to be able to get to the line at will. And I, I think that's something that will translate in the NBA, just considering how comfortable he is at changing speeds and stuff like that. 
I will say, though, like, with, with free throws, like, Dennis Smith this year, refs don't give young guards many balls. So that'll be tough for him, too, a little bit. If he goes to the line and, like, does a little move where he throws the arms up, ref, like, you're a rookie. Like, sorry. Right. And and he also doesn't have that explosive more ability sh- more to, More shifty like, changing speeds. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, years. if he finds himself lost on a play, then he's a walking turnover. Do, do both of you guys still have him ranked lottery? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think so. Yes, same. Nothing would change for me. The, the one guy I'm very disappointed we didn't get to see in the tournament is Gilgis Alexander's teammate, Jared Vanderbilt. He was out um, the entire tournament with a foot injury. I yeah, I believe it was an ankle injury. Yeah, yeah, a lower body injury, as they would say in the NHL. No details. Lower body injury for Jared Vanderbilt. He's like a six foot eight, six foot nine forward, but he's also kind of a point, can handle the ball a little bit. Vanderbilt's an interesting guy for the NBA if he decides to declare Danny. Are, I, I mean, yes. Wait, are, are we all in, a, in agreement that— I'm Jared- very disappointed. I thought that was like my take. I was like, yeah, I'm going to sneak this in. You know, I'm, 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 I'm so annoyed that we agree on this guy because we have literally never discussed Jared Vanderbilt together. Right. Never. So it's not a hive mind thing. It's just I think we're seeing the same qualities in a guy. Like, he reminds me a lot of Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, just a guy who's I can see it. Swiss I can Army see it. knife. But much right. bigger. Yeah, yeah, much bigger. Yeah, yeah you, jumbo version. You look at kind of the way teams try to copy other teams in the draft. And you look at his measurements, and he's kind of eerily similar to Jordan Bell. They have yeah. they have very similar heights, very similar wingspans. So you're, you're looking at a guy who is going to be an unconventional four, maybe an unconventional five. The thing is, Vanderbilt doesn't really have the rim protection potential that Jordan Bell exemplified in his three years at Oregon, but he brings so many different things to the table. He might be the best defender in the draft if yeah. he enters. Do we think he's going to go, though? I feel like he's probably not going to come back to school after. He's like on ESPN top 60. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think the odds are he'd come back. I think if you're an NBA team, you're looking at him, you're seeing he had has had a quite a handful of uh, foot injuries yeah, in high school. Yeah, he only played 14 games this yep. year. <laughs> missed, missed three months with Kentucky this season. He's a horrible shooter. Um, you're, you're, he's not. He's really not just a horrible shooter. He's also not a great finisher around the rim. Like, what he does, though, is he defends like crazy, and his, he rebounds <laughs> at an elite level. His rebound rate's incredible for a 6'9 oh. guy. Like, they're better rebounding rates than any of the big guys. Oh, he's, oh. he's relentless on defense. He's absolutely unbelievable as a defender. He can defend. Look, it's not an exaggeration to say he can be a five-position defender. Right. It's not an exaggeration to say that he's one of the guys that can be a really, really high-level rebounder for your team. That's important in small ball, too. If you're putting him at the five, you're seeing a six-foot-nine guy, and maybe in some situations you might be a little limited on the boards. You're not going to be limited with Vanderbilt out there. And he's got that like defensive rebound push for the assist. Like, he's got yes, some real... Yeah. For sure. Oh, and that's where the Hollis Jefferson comparison comes from. Where yes, he's like a jumbo version, elite rebounder who can also push the floor, make the right plays, can pass a little bit in transition. He's such an intriguing guy. I mean, it's kind of the role—the role that we're talking about right now—is kind of the role that I kind of wish we saw more of from Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I kind of want to see him as like a five. Like I had tweeted this uh, a couple (laughs) months ago. I was just like. I wouldn't it be kind of interesting if he was on the Cavs, hmm. like playing the Tristan Thompson role. Like he's he's really strong, six seven, can kind of do all of those little things. He just can't shoot, and it's like I don't know. I, I would kind of rather see him be that kind of switchable guy than Tristan, who's just it, hasn't had that season. I was gonna say like this is a good example of like with fives in general. It's like everyone's a five now, so I feel like I guess that like with MKG, it's like yeah, let's see him at the five, but they got Cody Zeller. Minsky and Dwight Howard and 
that's kind of the whole league right now. Is like there's so many guys that have to be five with a non-shooting role, and there's just too many of these non-shooting guys kind of hanging around there. And I think in a few years, I think Kentucky is the same way too. Kentucky has like four guys like that. Or it's like if they were the one non-shooter in the shooting lineup, it'd be very interesting. But instead, they're all playing together. Looks there. I think with Vanderbilt though, it's it's not like he's small. Like MKG's right. kind of lean. I, I think with him, it might be a little difficult to put him at the five. Whereas with Vanderbilt, like he's thick, he's strong. Uh, MKG, I don't know if you could put him against a Towns or an Embiid. I think with Vanderbilt, maybe down the line, once he reaches his um, full athletic potential, you could at least be solid with him against those guys. Here's here's my question. Coach Cal is obviously a, a big proponent of students getting their money as as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. What do you think he does with Vanderbilt? What do you think he says to him? Do you think he says, all right, you only played 14 games here. You didn't, you know, finish your first season on the best terms. Do you come back or does he, is he like, no, go, you might be a first round pick? I think he should test the waters. Yeah. At least, to be honest with you. I mean, like I said, if I'm an NBA team, I'm thinking, we can plug this guy in maybe pretty early on and he can make an impact defensively for us. That's what I'd be thinking if I if I were bringing him in. I, I'd have him ranked in the first round right now. That's just me. I think I, I on my I haven't really done a, a solid board yet, but I have him like in the mid-late first round range right now for on mine. I'd be very happy drafting him in the late first round if I'm an NBA team. And if I'm Vanderbilt or if I'm Coach Cal, I'm like, dude, go now. Right. Because a couple of years from now, like you people could sour on you a little bit. Plus um, those injuries. All yeah. the injuries as well. Um I think I think I think he should absolutely consider going, despite the fact the season didn't go as planned. I just feel like his he can really improve on his finishing and shooting. And I remember there was a good piece that our guy, uh, Paolo Escoblog, wrote a couple weeks ago where he talked <laughs> to a bunch of old Kentucky. And he was like, oh, you know, I love being in Kentucky. Like, I love being in Kentucky. I went pro, it didn't work out, and I've been being there. And it's like, yeah, get your money right away. But in my opinion, like, you want to think long-term with your career. Kentucky, if he comes back, he can play big minutes. He'll get a big role in the offense. Like, he'll get time to develop and grow. But if he goes to the wrong team in the NBA, he never plays. He's forgotten for years. So to me, it's more about that second contract. And even if you don't make the NBA, if you have a higher skill level when you go to Europe, you're against the sixty there. Versus European teams don't want twenty year olds who can't score. Like they just don't have much time for it. Yeah, but if he goes back to Kentucky and continues having foot injuries, then he never gets paid. That's true, but I mean, like he's gonna get a second round contract right now if he's foot injuries. That's not gonna last his whole life for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at uh, Kentucky's recruits coming in next year. All, it's, all it's, yeah, they're all perimeter guys. So you have, let's see, uh, Keldon Johnson, who is a wing, uh, six, number six recruit. You have Tyler Harrow. You have, yeah, point guard. So, yeah, there's a, definitely a space for him next year. Um, I am usually just on the side of get your money as quickly as possible. But it's an interesting case here just because he's such a unique prospect. I'm sad we didn't get to see him. And I'm also sad that we're out of time, which means it's time for Isaac's grades. Hey, let's start with Danny today. Thanks for doing back-to-back weeks, first of all. Hell yeah. It's good to have you back on this program. Team Again, this is your show, Danny. Do not ever forget that. (laughs) And in the middle of talking about Mo Wagner, you corrected the pronunciation for Wagner, which is the correct pronunciation. You know I'm a stickler for phonetics. I appreciate that. I was going to give you an A for that, but that would be unimaginative. So I'm going to give you a W. Break the system. Get a W for Wagner. Kevin O'Connor or Kevin O'Superstar, you stood up for the Sacramento Kings. 
That's a very brave take. I think that's an incredible hill to die on. <laughs> but then you suggested that the Suns should take Robert Williams, forgetting the fact that the Suns have like 7,000 big men on their roster already. So you get a B for big men. Cool. I'm cool with that. B's <laughs> a passing grade. Uh, Jonathan Charks, great comp rushman for Trey Young. I think those four guys are all adequate comparisons. But you compared Shea Gilgis Alexander to MCW. You can't just compare two guys because they have hyphenated last names, man. That's just really lazy. You get a B hyphen, aka a B minus. Oh god. I can't even be mad with those dulcet tones. You can give me that grade. Oh man. Wow. I'm about to drop your grade for mentioning that again. Uh, well, I mean, I can't help it. Yeah, he tried to butter you up, Isaac. It's not working. <laughs> oh God, Isaac. Wow. We're gonna keep running offense to our man, Isaac. We're gonna get him a thing on this podcast for you. So. Yeah, people need to hear your voice, Isaac. It's uh, magic- I don't think that's magical. true. Well, that was fun, guys. Charks, thanks for calling in from Dallas, man. All right, y'all. Have a good one. Here in LA, Danny, Isaac, thank you, guys. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure indeed. And thank you for listening. For extra credit, please check out The Ringer's 2018 NBA Draft Guide at nbadraft.theringer.com. Links and twit on my Twitter. It's posted on uh, Ringer's Facebook page. You'll find it. It's good stuff. We'll be adding more in the coming weeks. Special thanks to Elon Musk for considering joining the show. It's too busy. Not able to this Friday. Hopefully we'll get him next Friday. Need to get Elon on the show. Hey, special shout out to Mo Wagner. Yeah, special shout out to Mo Wagner as well. Number one fan of the Ringer NBA show. Number one prospect on my big board. Uh, looking forward to have, uh, seeing Wagner this Saturday against Texas A&M. For now, please keep submitting hashtag Ringer NBA comments and questions during March Madness. Our next mailbag will be the first week of April. Talk to you next Friday. Peace out.